Pop Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. If you are in need of a new window or a new door, Pella is the answer. Take it from me, someone that has worked with Pella. They installed a new front door, a bunch of new windows on my home. They are fantastic. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And this podcast is powered by Shoot360 Lincoln, the world's most advanced basketball training facility. I am an owner along with my brother. Uh, we're right there on like 48th and Van Dorn. We've been open for a little over a month, and it has been really, really an exciting opening month for Shoot360. If uh, you have anybody in your life a, at, at any age, you know, all the way from third or fourth grade rookies to high-level pros, if you want to train like a pro in the basketball world, Shoot360 is the place you need to be. Think of like batting cages with basketball hoops where we got our patented and proprietary technology giving you real-time feedback after every single shot. And these passing walls where you're able to uh, work on your ball handling and your passing kind of gamifies the whole skill development process and skills training process. It is amazing. Go to shoot360.com backslash Lincoln. If you want to become a member, you can set up uh, your official recruiting visit, which is a free one-hour workout. And uh, hopefully we can uh, get you to jump on board and join the team at Shoot360 Lincoln. Okay. So we are about three weeks into the college basketball season. I'm taping this. It's Sunday, November 26th. Uh, Creighton is sitting at 5-0. and Nebraska is sitting at 7-0. and Just beat Cal State Fullerton. And I've called two Nebraska games, seen them a bunch uh, up close and watched all their games. Same thing, obviously, with Creighton. Called four of their games, watched all of uh, uh, their other two as well. So I wanted to give some early observations with, with both teams right now uh, on the hardwood. And let's start with let let's start with Creighton. Uh, they're five and one. Got wins over Florida A and M, North Dakota State, Iowa, Texas Southern, and Loyola Chicago. And the one loss being to Colorado State. Uh, Creighton looked really good in their five wins offensively, but obviously in that one loss, yikes to Colorado State and Kansas City on Thanksgiving. Creighton didn't look good at all. It was a real real clunker. Creighton lost sixty nine to forty eight. And I mean, let's be real, it. It wasn't like that game wasn't like Colorado State's this really, really, really good team and played great. I think Colorado State is solid. I think Isaiah Stevens, their point guard, is really good. But overall, that team's not, you know, that's not a, a top 25 team or anything like that, in my opinion. And I honestly didn't even feel like Colorado State played out of their minds, but yet they still beat Creighton by 21 points. And with with that game in particular, because that's where a lot of people's minds and energy is at right now, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to freak out. Everybody's got to take a deep breath. There's a lot to unpack with that game, um, that Colorado State loss. First of all, a part of that Colorado State game is just the mysterious way basketball can work at times where, for whatever reason, you usually have at least one game a year, sometimes maybe two or three, where you don't even recognize the team that's on the floor. And to a, to a certain extent, that was that Colorado State game for Creighton. Their energy was bad, and you could just kind of tell early in that game that Creighton didn't have it. But, but I also think that game somewhat validated some of my early observations or early, I don't know, concerns with this Creighton team. Before I get into some of those concerns, let me preface that with this. Creighton's still a really good team. 
There are no perfect teams. Everyone has flaws. Creighton is still a really, really good team. They will still be ranked in the top 20, top 25 for sure. Ken Palm didn't really drop Creighton very much after that loss. They're still right around that 15th spot at Ken Palm in their rankings. Ryan Kalkbrenner is still Ryan Kalkbrenner, one of the best bigs in the country. Trey Alexander, outside of those two games in Kansas City, was off to a roaring start this season. And then Baylor Shireman is, has played great. And then even guys like Farabello have really have really hit this hit the ground running this year. And offensively, they are one of the best three point shooting teams in America. All that is real. All that isn't going away. And all that is still real, even after that Colorado State loss. So I want to you gotta you gotta preface everything with that. But like I said, that loss did validate some of my early observations with this team. And some of those worries or concerns, I'm just gonna go through a few. The first one was athleticism. This Creighton team's pretty average athletically, and that might be putting it politely. Trey Alexander is the best athlete, and I wouldn't say he's a freak by any stretch of the imagination. He's he's not super quick twitched. Um, I was worried about this with the losses of Ryan Nemhard and Kaluma. Their overall athleticism, but you know Stephen Ashworth, Isaac Trout, Baylor Shireman, Mason Miller, Francisco Farabello, those guys are just okay athletes. Basketball is still a game of skill, but on some level, your raw athleticism does matter. And I thought there were moments against against, uh, Colorado State, who isn't overly athletic either, by the way. I thought Creighton didn't look very athletic. Looked a little slow, didn't look overly quick, didn't look overly powerful. So that's the first thing. Expanding on the whole athleticism thing, there are two things kind of within that. Number one, I, I do worry about this team's defensive ceiling. The, Creighton is still a top 30 defense, according to Ken Palm right now, their defensive efficiency ranking. And Ryan Kalkbrenner is still a big problem at the rim for offenses to deal with. But I don't know if this team can get to that level consistently that the last two teams were at defensively. And I think that is mainly a result of athleticism. Ryan or, or Arthur Kaluma could switch and guard perimeter players and athletic fours fairly well. Isaac Trout and Mason Miller really can't. Ryan Nemhard, when he wanted to, was solid and quick on the ball defensively. Steven Ashworth, you know, he he fights, but he's not great on the ball defensively. I just I felt like Creighton's defense didn't have a ton of teeth to it against Colorado State. And the other part of that of the athleticism thing is. Outside of Trey Alexander, sometimes I worry about who else can win one-on-one against their guy and get into the paint to either score or create. This is these are things that I pointed out on the 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 pre the Creighton preseason pod preview pod, and and a lot of them are kind of revealing themselves. Like when Trey Alexander struggles, Creighton is going to struggle offensively, and man. Trey Alexander had a rough game against Colorado State, one for 16 from the floor, and he really didn't play well in the Loyola-Chicago game either. And if if Trey Alexander isn't getting into the paint and scoring and creating and getting fouled, Creighton doesn't really have anyone else who can do that. Last year, Ryan Nemhard could do it. Arthur Kaluma could do it a little bit as well. And a lot of that goes back to raw athleticism the ability to guard one-on-one and then get past your guy one-on-one. 
Creighton kind of just has one guy that can do that, Trey Alexander. The The other observation I've had so far is, Creighton is very, very three-point reliant. In some ways, this team so far really reminds me of and strikes me as some of those early Creighton teams under Greg McDermott that would, I hate to use that whole cliche of live by the three, die by the three, but some of those Doug McDermott teams and other teams, it was kind of like, hey, listen, we're going to shoot 35 to 43s. If we are hot, your ass is going to get torched. If we're cold, we're in big trouble. Let's tip it up. And in that Colorado State game, Creighton shot it terrible. And they just couldn't overcome it. If you look at some three-point stats for Creighton, they're pretty, they're pretty eye-opening. The, it both to like good. I mean, a lot of this is like good, but then it's it's it goes back to that overly reliant thing sometimes. Creighton ranks number one in the country in percentage of points from the three. Number one. Creighton ranks third in total percentage of field goal attempts being from three. 52% of Creighton shots as a team are threes. That's third most in the country. And then just from a broad, simple sense, Creighton ranks seventh nationally in three-point field goal attempts per game at about 32 a game. Guys like Stephen Ashworth, Mason Miller, Isaac Trout, Francisco Farabello, in all reality, those guys are basically only going to shoot threes. And if you look at it, between those four guys, Ashworth, Miller, Trout, and Farabello, 82% of those guys' shots are threes. 82%. Stephen Ashworth, 29 of his 37 shots are threes, 78%. Mason Miller, 17 of his 18 shots are threes, 94%. Isaac Trout, 22 of his 26 shots are threes on the season, 84%. Farabello, 20 of his 26 field goal attempts on the season are are threes. That's 76%. There isn't a lot of diversity in those guys' offensive games. Even a guy like Shireman, 66% of his shots are threes. So this team is pretty straightforward. Like, they're they're three-ball reliant, which makes sense because they're really good shooters. And I'll expand on this in a second, but they are three-ball reliant. And at times, they have a hard time getting easy baskets. I found myself watching that Colorado State game like, man, they need need to get in the paint. They need to get inside. They need to get a layup. They need to get fouled. They need to get something else other than a three. And they just have a hard time with that at times because of how they're built, that athleticism thing, and then just, you know, being three-ball reliant. This is where the reliance also on Trey Alexander reveals itself as well. They really need Alexander's offensive skill set attacking the paint to balance the threes. And they need someone else, which leads me to my other observation. Creighton has to get Ryan Kalkbrenner more involved offensively. Here are Ryan Kalkbrenner's two-point field goal attempts by game this year. 4, 6, 6, 11, 11, 9. That's not enough in my opinion. There have been too many games or too many halves or stretches of games where Creighton just doesn't get the ball inside to Kalkbrenner enough. Now, some of this is on Kalkbrenner. He's got to work a little harder on post-ups, demand the ball, attack the offensive glass, all those kinds of things. But some of this is also on Creighton's guards, mainly Stephen Ashworth to a certain extent, where they got to, they got to make it a priority to throw the ball inside. And a big part of Kalkbrenner's offensive game is scoring, rolling to the basket off of 
ball screens and pick and rolls. That element has been diminished a bit so far. It's not been as prevalent. Creighton used to, over the course of the last really two years in particular, last year definitely, Creighton used to get at least one, oftentimes two to three or maybe four flip-up lobs to the rim to Kalkbrenner a game last year. And then you expand it even back to years past where it was Martin Crumple, Justin Patton, like the flip-up lob to the rim game for Creighton's a staple in their offense. And that's where Ryan Nemhard is pretty good. Nemhard is pretty good coming off ball screens, getting into the lane, and flipping it up to, to Kalkbrenner. Now, I will say, to be fair, teams have really sold out to take away the lobs to the rim to Kalkbrenner. They are really staying attached to him on the roll, and they're really sinking in to take away those flip-ups to the rim. But teams did that at times last year, and Creighton still found a way to, to get it. But I just think Kalkbrenner's going to have to get more involved. Now, what's weird is it's not totally his game to post him up a ton. Like, he's not Kevin McHale down there. He's not Zach Eady down there where you just, like, you know, you just throw him and throw the ball into the post and, and over and over and over and let him go to work. But they do got to throw it to him more. They got to diversify their offense at times and get the, get the ball into the paint. And other than, than Trey Alexander, Creighton isn't great at getting the ball into the paint off the dribble. So in my opinion, it has to be done via the post-up to Kalkbrenner. So they got to find a way to, to do that. And then lastly, Creighton's got to get more out of Stephen Ashworth. Stephen Ashworth hasn't been bad, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. But he just hasn't been super impactful yet. He shot it pretty good. He's shooting 41% from three. Not surprising. Dude's got a torch. But he just... He just hasn't been a factor for the last three games for, for Creighton. You haven't felt him on the floor. Zero points against Iowa. Now, I will say that game was more about Farabella was playing well than necessarily him struggling, but like still zero points against Iowa, six points against Texas Southern, 10 points against Loyola, eight points against Colorado State. Like Steven Ashworth didn't come to Creighton to just be a guy out there. And Creighton didn't bring Ashworth to Omaha for him to just be a guy out there. They need him to be more than that. And he knows that. I'm not saying anything that if Steven was here, he would he would be nodding in agreement with me. And listen, in, in Steven Ashworth's defense, I think he's probably adjusting to his role here a little bit. At Utah State, he was the man. He was the leading scorer, had the ball in his hands the whole game. He was the guy. He took 10.4 shots per game last year. So far this year, he's taking just 6.2. Four fewer shots a game may not seem like a ton, but it is. That's a lot. Because sometimes all it takes is for you to get one shot to go down. Now you're in a rhythm. Now you're in a flow. And maybe that next one goes down, and then that next one goes down. And now you're hunting a little more. Now your teammate's looking for you a little more. So I think he's adjusting to his role as well. But Creighton needs more from him. There's no doubt about it. So those are those were some of my observations from like a concern standpoint, right? Creighton isn't overly athletic. That hurts them in spots. They're really reliant on Trey Alexander. They're really three ball reliant. They need to try to find a way to get maybe some easier baskets. I'm not saying don't take threes. I mean, that'd be stupid with how good they shoot the three, but they got to get some easier shots, right? Like, if you're ice cold and the – I mean, I, I get the whole thing, like, stay stay confident, continue to shoot it. But, like, sometimes you're, you're ice cold, like, on a swing swing and you're open. Like, sometimes, like, drive it. And this is coming from a shooter. I was a shooter. Like, if we were cold or I was cold on a swing swing, like, sometimes rip and get in the lane. 
Creighton needs more from Stephen Ashworth. And then lastly, Creighton has to get Kalkbrenner more involved, more involved offensively, more touches, more, more flip-up lobs to the rim, more post-ups, all that. Now, having said all that, like I stated at the beginning of this, Creighton is still really good. No team is perfect. Every team has shortcomings and some flaws in some way, shape, or form. I just pointed out what stood out to me so far in terms of flaws. And what's interesting is a lot of those kind of manifested themselves in that Colorado State game. What I've really liked so far is Creighton's pace. Creighton is really flying up and down the floor. And I've, re- I've loved how Creighton is back to doing that, pushing the ball. They've been really good in the open floor. they got multiple guys that can bring it, initiate the break. Kalkbrenner can run the floor. That's been good. I think getting back to playing really, really fast is going to serve this team well, and it has so far. I also do really like their three-point shooting capabilities. For as much as I talk about the Jays being three-point reliant and how there's a fine line there, I also fully acknowledge that the strength of this team is their ability to shoot the three. They are big time from three as a team. They're second in three-point field goals made per game at 12.3 made threes a game. That's second nationally. They're shooting 38% from three as a team, and that is after a six-for-29 performance against Colorado State. I mean, other than Frederick King, they don't trot out really anybody. I mean, even Kalk's thrown in a few, which is a fine line there. Sometimes you're like, eh, get, get into the paint, bro. But they don't really play anybody that isn't just like a capable shooter, isn't a really good shooter. Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Mason Miller, Isaac Trout, Stephen Ashworth, Francisco Farabello, like great shooter, great shooter, great shooter, great shooter. I mean, you you better be ready to defend the three when you're playing Creighton. You better, you better have your transition defense on point. You better be ready to defend the three. If you don't do those two things and Creighton's, you know, remotely clicking on all cylinders, you might get a hundred hung on you. I've liked what I've seen from Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander. Before Kansas City, Trey Alexander was playing like an like an all-American. Now, he had two stinkers in Kansas City. And listen, that can happen, right? But overall, Trey Alexander has looked really good. I love how Shireman has played. He's been very consistent every single game. Shooting it good, playing with some swag, playing with some edge. Those two guys are playing well. The other thing that stood out, Francisco Farabello and the bench. I love how Farabello has played. He shot it great, especially compared to last year, which is good to see. And overall, the bench production is way better. Farabello, Frederick King, Isaac Trout, they have come in and made a big impact. I mean, Creighton doesn't – Creighton likely – I don't know if they, they win the Iowa game without its bench. Ryan Kalkbrenner, in a very rare moment, got into foul trouble, but Fred King came in, gave a big lift. Farabello was awesome in that game. Trout knocked down some shots. It's a big weakness last year was been the bench, and so far it's been good. So that's great to see. The other thing I like is that from a broad sense, the execution of their defensive plan, like what they what they want to do defensively, has really been done at a high level. Creighton, like here's their plan. Don't foul. Don't put teams at the free throw line. Force twos, ideally tough two-point shots. Like, that's kind of their whole plan, guys. Don't foul. Don't, don't put teams at the line. Force twos. Make sure they're tough twos. So far, it's like check, check, check. Creighton leads the nation in fewest fouls per game. 8.5 fouls per game. That's what they average. 
I mean, number two in the country is 12 fouls a game. So Creighton is not just number one. They are number one by a wide margin. Executing the sh- out of that. Really well done. Creighton is number one at Kempom and fewest percentage given up at the free throw line. Percentage of points given up at the free throw line. Creighton's number one in Kempom and free throw rate given up, which is uh, the percentage of your opponent's free throws divided by total field goal attempts. Just kind of how much they're getting to the line versus how many shots they're taking and all those kinds of things. And then Creighton is number one in the country in percentage of points forced being two-pointers. So the teams that Creighton plays, the, the, the largest percentage of their points are coming from two. Creighton is number one in that, and that's by design. So basically, from, from a Creighton, from a broad sense, when they sit down and map out their defensive identity and goals, they want to not foul, don't put teams at the free throw line, and force the opponents into taking mainly twos. Creighton is literally number one in the country in all of those metrics. Number one. So that, that's good to see. So listen, I know the Colorado State game was a total disaster, and when you know when a, a a team that's ranked eighth in the country gets their ass kicked like that, it's human nature to go whoa, 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 whoa. I get it. Some of it was Creighton's flaws rearing their head, three ball reliant, not enough Kalkbrenner, need more from Ashworth, Ashworth, super reliant on Trey Alexander, not enough easy baskets, and some of it was also again that bizarre thing that happens in a season for basketball teams where you just kind of collectively don't have it. Creighton has flaws, so does everyone else. What's new? Now, they, they need to work a little harder on to overcome some of those deficiencies, maybe than some other teams. And they also need to address some things, getting Kalk more involved, all those kinds of things. But Creighton's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Now, I will say, things are about to get real. Listen to Creighton's next. These are Creighton's next seven games. Really tough. Here's their next seven games. At Oklahoma State, at Nebraska, home against Central Michigan, neutral site against UNLV, home against Alabama, who's right now Ken Palm number one offensive ranked team in the country. Really good, really talented. They're home against Villanova. Villanova looks like a top 15 team to me. I know they lost to Penn, but my eyes tell me that's, that's a good team. And then at Marquette. I'm not so sure Marquette isn't the first or second best team in the country. Whoa. We're going to find out a lot about this Creighton team in this next seven-game stretch. Stuff's about to get real. Can't wait. So that's that's the Creighton side of things. Let's talk Nebraska. So Nebraska, they're off to a great start. They just beat Cal State Fullerton literally like moments ago uh, to improve to 7-0. First of all, it's just nice to see Nebraska finally get off to a good start under Fred Hoiberg. First four years, there was always an early season loss that seemed to kind of just crush confidence and set the tone for the year. Year one, lost to UC Riverside in Southern Utah right out the gates, first two games of the season. Year two, lost to Nevada in the second game of the season. Year three, lost to Western Illinois in the first game of the season. And it just seemed like those losses set the tone for the year. So on a simple level, it's nice to see Nebraska take care of business and win these games they're supposed to win. And sure, Nebraska's schedule has been fairly soft. I get all that. But again, Nebraska's beaten all the teams and they've looked good doing it. And I will say this, like, 
Ryder and Duquesne aren't bad. Oregon State is still a power conference team, albeit not a very good one. But, like, especially Duquesne, I called that game, studying and watching them on film. Like, they're a team I wouldn't be surprised if they end up in a postseason tournament, NIT, or maybe even, like, mess around and are in, like, the A-10 conference championship game. And, like, who knows? Like, that team's pretty good. So my first thought is, it's nice to see Nebraska get off to a good start. And really, this is kind of a continuation from last year and how they ended the year. Nebraska had the best record in the Big Ten from February 1st to the end of the regular season. They finished the year going 6-3 and three in their last nine games. So when you combine that with the 7-0 and start, Nebraska's 13-3 and three in their last 16 games. And listen, I'm not, I'm not too surprised. I kind of hinted at this in my season preview for Nebraska basketball, if you listen to that pod. When I went and watched practice in early October, I walked away thinking, that's a pretty good team, man. They got depth. They got size. They're old. I think they're going to continue to build off the culture and standard that was, that was started last year on the defensive end. And so far through seven games, all that has proven to be true. So when I'm out and about and around and people ask me, like, hey, Nick, how are you surprised by Nebraska's start? My answer is like, no, not really, to be honest with you. I thought this team had a chance to make some noise, and I they've kind of made some noise here early on here, and, and I still believe they can continue it. Like, especially, again, when you look at the landscape of the Big Ten, I think Nebraska has the makings of being a middle-of-the-pack, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth-place type team. So what stood out to me so far, um, a lot of it's been validated from what I was anticipating, but let's kind of go through it. The first thing is the depth. Nebraska's got legit depth, man. They're legitimately nine or ten deep, nine for sure. And that depth has served them well so far. They've had five different leading scorers through seven games. So they have a variety of guys that can score and hurt you. It'll be interesting to see how that rotation plays out. If Is Fred Hoiberg going to continue to play nine or ten guys? I think that's hard to do. But I think he's bought into it, and I think the players are too. And, you know, I've always felt like – Depth depth can keep people's effort and attention to detail on point because everyone can get taken out if they aren't doing their job and playing hard and, and executing assignments. And that wasn't always the case through the first four years. I do feel like sometimes depth can be overrated in games, but it helps in practice, and it can help you in games depending on how you're built, but I definitely think it can help keep players on point with their effort, competitiveness, fight, because if you screw any of that stuff up, like there are four, three, four dudes on the bench wanting to come in for you. So the depth has been good. The depth has stood out. Like if you if you really watch that Oregon State game where Nebraska looked amazing, they went on a 20 to, 20 to nothing run in the first half uh, in, in South Dakota taking on Oregon State, the starters didn't really play that well to, to, to begin with. It was their bench. It was Sam Hoiberg, Jawan Gary, Jerron Coleman, like it, it was those guys coming in that sparked it. That's where depth is good in the games. If your starters are flat, some people don't got it, you go to your bench, boom. So the depth has stood out. The other thing that stood out is the defense and effort standard has continued from last year. I think Nebraska's won a few games that I'm not sure they would have won in years past. The Ryder game is an example of it. They were struggling to score. It was kind of an ugly grinder game where they had to lean on their defense to win, and, and it came through. They held Ryder scoreless for nine minutes in the second half and won. 
I'm the, I'm watching that game. I think I even said it on BTN. I'm like, I'm not sure Nebraska wins this game two years ago. And I just it's just nice. I I just watch a team in Nebraska that finally, after three years, not last year, but the first three years, of not even being close. Nebraska finally plays hard and takes some pride in defending and flying around, talking and getting stops. It's nice to see that. I thought this would continue from last year and the standard that was built from Greasel and Bandamel and Derek Walker and Juwan Gary, and it has. Nebraska's top five in the country in field goal percentage defense, it's good to see. Rebounding has been excellent so far. Nebraska has been one of the best rebounding teams in the Big Ten. They've done a nice job keeping teams off the glass and then them getting second chance points. Heading into that Duquesne game, they were averaging around 15 second chance points a game. I mean, Rink Mass, Josiah Alec, Juwan Gary, even Bryce Williams, those guys rebound the ball well, especially Rink Mast and Alec. Those two guys really are good rebounders. The Big Ten is a paint and size and got to be good inside league, and Nebraska appears to have the personnel to be solid down low, and you would think there aren't going to be too many games where they just get eviscerated on the glass. That wasn't always the case. There, was, there were lots of games first three years where you're like, man, Nebraska's going to get pounded on the glass. I don't think this team's... I think this team's ready to to hang in there in the glass and maybe even pound some people in the glass. I think the transfers have all really played well. Rink Master, Josiah Alec, Bryce Williams, Jerron Coleman, they've all really hit the ground running this season. Rink Mass has been really good. He's averaging a double-double. He's provided a nice inside-out combo at the five, passing, knocking down some threes, and then obviously scoring in the post. And his work on the glass has been really good. And again, averaging a double-double. Alec has been has been exactly what I thought he, he is. He just plays so damn hard. Just plays hard, big body, strong, barrels into people. He's got a little bit more perimeter game to him than I anticipated. Not a great shooter, but if you, I mean, if you totally disrespect him, he might knock down a few. He can, he can put it on the ground for two or three dribbles. Bryce Williams looks to me to be, when, he's, when it's right, he's Nebraska's best offensive player. 6'7", can score at all three levels, gets to the free throw line. I like Williams a lot. And then I think Jerron Coleman in a spot backup role has been good. He's got some natural feel and ball screens, which is very much needed with this team. I admire that he left a situation where he was the leading scorer, averaging 14 points per game at Ball State to take a swing at the Big Ten and try to win and go to the NCAA tournament in an off-the-bench role at Nebraska. I think there are going to be a few games this year where Coleman is massively important having to come in and run the show, run that point guard spot if Lawrence doesn't have it. Jawan Gary appears to have recovered from that shoulder, and it also appears to have improved. After he missed the first few games uh, of the season, he's been really productive. They needed some of those returners to take steps forward, and coming off that shoulder injury, man, you just never know. But Gary appears to have improved, knocking down some of his perimeter shots. He's looked good. And what's crazy is Nebraska's 7-0, and Tominaga hasn't really gone nuclear yet. He's been okay. He was, I think he's still getting back to 100% from that ankle sprain in the, in the exhibition game. He missed the first two games of the year. I don't think he's looked like he's had that same pop to him. But it's a good sign that Nebraska's winning and they aren't needing all-world shooting performances from Tominaga. So th- those are a few of the things that have stood out to me so far. Now, listen, I don't want to paint Nebraska like they're the greatest team in the world. Like, who would you take, 96 Bulls or 2023-2024 Nebraska? Like, let's calm down, right? They still have flaws. They still got to go prove it 
you know, for over the course of months, right? I mean, they've beaten Florida A&M and Lindenwood and, and, and Stony Brook. You know, like, let's calm down, right? Let's not, get, let's not get it carried away. I still do worry about their point guard spot. I like Jamarcus Lawrence. I don't think he's a stud. I don't think he's a pure point guard. Um, so I really I worry about their overall point guard play throughout the season. And, you know, I want to see I, I want to see if someone can elevate to being a star. On like I worry, I worry that Nebraska is a roster full of A-level role players, but don't have don't really have an A-level star, if that makes sense. Can, can Tominaga get there? I don't know. I just don't know if he's well-rounded enough. Can Bryce Williams get there? I don't know. We'll see what happens when he gets into the grind of the Big Ten. And on, on some level, when you get to the grind of conference play and you play these top-level teams, you sometimes are as good as your best player is. And while Nebraska might be better than some teams, maybe one through nine, a lot of these teams Nebraska plays are probably going to have the best player on the floor. Sometimes the best two players on the floor. So that, on a super simple level, worries me with Nebraska. Like with Creighton, it's like, I mean, they're going to take the floor, and there aren't too many teams that have three better players than Alexander Shireman and Kalkbrenner. We can talk all we want about lack of athleticism and and over-relying on the three and blah, blah, blah. Like, they got three fucking studs, Okay. Like can can Nebraska can so can Bryce Williams become like a whoo? That's a that's a all Big Ten dude right there. Can he get there? Because sometimes basketball, you're as good as your best player is. So we'll see. Nebraska's probably in the meantime gonna have to be kind of one of those like some of the parts is greater than the individual pieces type of team that wins collectively with defense and depth and effort and execution and all those kinds of things, which can get you a long ways. But it'll just be interesting what things look like once the competition the competition goes up a notch for them as well, which it will shortly. I mean, coming down the pike, you got Creighton coming to town, Michigan State coming to town. You're going to play Kansas State. you got Minnesota on the road. So the competition's about to go up a notch too, and we'll see how Nebraska responds. But for now, hard to complain about 7-0, and and you got to like what you've seen from Nebraska so far. So there you go. Little early season observations from both Creighton and Nebraska. Been impressed with both teams. Creighton is obviously held to a higher standard than Nebraska right now. So I spent a good portion of the of the time talking and pointing out the issues with with Creighton, and and I didn't really do that with Nebraska. And that is largely because of the lens and bar at which you are viewing and judging these teams by. Right? Creighton is viewed through a top fifteen team in the country lens that has elite eight Final Four aspirations, and Nebraska is viewed through a, a middle of the pack Big Ten team lens that hopes to be in the NCAA tournament conversation at the end of the year. So you kind of judge and watch accordingly. But I do really, really like this Nebraska team, and I think they got an, they got a shot for an exciting year. I genuinely mean that. And obviously, I feel the same way about Creighton, too. So it's going to be really, really fun to watch. A Heard at Sports Network production. <laughs>